Hello, Fearless Flyers. Welcome back to the Fearless Flyer podcast, episode five. Uh, we'll be talking in this episode about the basic controls that we use on an aeroplane. And those are uh, going to be ailerons, elevator rudder. We'll have a chat about the fly-by-wire system and talk about the speed brakes. And I'd like to welcome my co-host, James. How are you, James? I'm good, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's been a good week. Excited to uh, record another podcast. So the last episode, we reviewed the four forces uh, that are impact an aircraft and how it flies. Uh, we hope you found that interesting. Uh, just a quick recap. So the four forces are thrust, drag, lift, and weight. And they all ironically work together, but also directly like uh, stop each other as such to uh, help an aircraft fly. Lift was quite an interesting one. And that's sort of those four forces all to do with airflow and whatnot. And that's how uh, we're leading onto this episode to do with the basic controls and how the airflow is manipulated by the, the basic controls uh, that an aircraft has in order for it to uh, maneuver in the air. So the first one we're going to be taking a look at, as uh, Grant just mentioned, was the ailer. So there are three basic controls that manipulate an aircraft through the air. Now, we're going to talk about the basic controls, but on a couple of them, we're going to go into a little bit of advanced information about their secondary effects. And if you find this a little bit boring or technical, have a look at the show notes and there'll be a time frame for you to avoid that and head on to the next part, which is talking about fly-by-wire. So the ailerons are on the wingtips. And we'll talk about those now. And uh, aileron's a French word. It's French word for a little wing or a fin. So the aileron is a panel that's attached by a hinge at the back of a wing. It's normally towards the end of the wing, but it's on the back of it, uh, what we call a trailing edge. There's one on each wing. And the purpose of them is to cause the aircraft to roll, or as some people call it, bank. But either term, bank or roll is the same term at the end of the day. It comes out with the same consequence. The primary purpose is simply to turn the aircraft. So we have an axis along the aircraft called the longitudinal axis and that runs from the nose of the aircraft to the tail and it's called the longitudinal axis and the ailerons cause the aircraft to roll or bank left or right. So if you hold your arm straight out in front of you, that would be like your fuselage and you twist it left or right, the twisting motion would be caused by the ailerons and your arm would be the longitudinal axis. So what causes that twisting moment on an aeroplane is simply the ailerons. And because the fuselage is the center of the axis sitting in the airplane, you don't really notice the aircraft's banking into a turn. You obviously would notice it if you're looking outside. But if you weren't looking outside, all you'd feel would be a slight pressure pushing you into your seat as you do the turn. So remember, there's one on each side of the wing and they're always working in opposite directions. So how do these cause roll? Well, let's just look at one wing. It doesn't matter which wing. Remember, how wing generates lift from episode three, if the aileron goes down into the airflow, there's more pressure on the aileron to push it up. Hence, that part of the wing creates more lift. Now, if we reverse that and look at the other wing, as the aileron goes up, it reduces lift on that part of the wing. And thus, that part of the wing, in essence, it loses lift and the result is it goes down. So this is why they work in an opposite motion. If the pilot wants to turn left, he moves the control column, which is similar in concept to, say, um, a car steering wheel. Uh, the left aileron would go up, and that creates less lift on that left wing, and the right aileron goes down, generating more lift, and voila, the aircraft banks or rolls into a left turn. So that's simply how they work. 
Now, on large aircraft, there's another set of ailerons. So the 777 has one, uh, another set of ailerons on the trailing edge also of the wing, but they're a lot closer to the fuselage and what we term the inboard area of the wing. And thus, logically, they are known as inboard ailerons. They also can be called flapperons, but that's for another episode. They're generally a lot smaller than the, the outboard ailerons. So basically the concept of these is that at low speed flight, all these four ailerons are working, but at high speed flight, the outer ailerons are that we lock them out and we just use the inboard ailerons. And the main reason for this, once again, is to do with the lift formula and how powerful the movement to say the ailerons at the wingtips can be when moved into a high speed airstream. Remember, the inboard area of the wing is the inner part, starting where it joins the fuselage. It's large, it's robust, it's really solid compared to the out part of the outboard part of the wing. Because the structure at the wingtip, it's smaller and it's designed to be more flexible. Now, say at high speed we want to turn to the left. If you went into a left turn, the right outer board aileron would go down to a very fast-moving airstream where it's supposed to create more lift and lift that wing up. However, it might actually be powerful enough to cause that part of the outer wing to twist around at the wingtip and cause it to actually lose lift, thereby banking the aircraft to the right when the pilot wants to go to the left. So these inboard smaller ailerons closer to the wing route where the structure of the wing is more rigid and uh, it's not susceptible to twisting the wing at high speed. And hence we use these just these inboard ailerons at high speed. They're extremely efficient despite the fact they're smaller and closer to the wing route. And the outboard ailerons, we don't need them because of this reversal, what we call aileron reversal. And it's really only on large jets. So we lock those out at high speed and just use the inboard ones. Does that seem to make sense to you, James? Yeah, I guess uh, the one question sort of principle of it is that a lot more people uh, here who obviously aren't familiar with as much uh, technical terms is putting it back to like driving a car. If you're just turning in and you're going, say, a 10 or a 20 zone kilometers an hour, you have to put quite a lot of, you have to turn the steering wheel quite a bit to, to turn that car. But when you're going along the highway, you only need tiny little movements. And that's saying when the aircraft is going quite slowly uh, and low level flight, either all those four ailerons and uh, inboard ailerons to move in order for the aircraft to turn effectively. But up in a high level, when you're going extremely fast, you need a little bit of movement in each wing to uh, really impact the way the aircraft yeah, uh, turns. I think that's- and and all, all our turns at altitude too are very slow. There's no need to rapidly do a turn at altitude. We do nice, gentle, slow turns. We don't bank the aeroplane very much. And we do it for a number of reasons. Passenger comfort, the primary one. But secondly, there's no necessity to to roll the aircraft in a hurry in any direction. So everything's just done nice and slowly at altitude. Uh, but as I say, as you said, down low level, when we're getting near the runway on approach, we want to make sure we have the maximum amount of controls so that we can manoeuvre the aircraft as appropriate to keep us on the centre line of the runway and, and in the right profile for landing. Yeah, so moving on, speaking about coming to landing and going up and into the air, we're going onto the elevator. And uh, Grant, again, I think you're going to discuss uh, how the elevator yeah. impacts flight because that's about going up and down. Yeah, the elevator. Yeah, so so the ailerons left and right, every plane does that. And the second main one is up and down, like you say, the elevator. So these are generally two hinge panels and they're at the back of the tail of the aircraft. So there's a small wing at the back, everyone's seen, and it's shaped similar to the main wings, but it obviously is a lot smaller at the back. And that's called the horizontal stabilizer. Now, attached to the rear 
of the horizontal stabilizer are the elevators. And once again, we have one on each side. And the difference between the ailerons is that these ones move in the same direction. In essence, the elevator makes the plane go up or down. So once again, this works by changing the lift on this horizontal stabilizer and the action has a rotating moment upon the aircraft and we have a different axis. This is now called the lateral axis and this axis goes from wingtip to wingtip. So this is causing a twisting motion around the wingtip to wingtip. So here's how it works. The pilot, he or she, wants the aeroplane to go up. So he or she pulls back on the control column and this moves these two elevator panels up, thereby creating lift underneath the horizontal stabilizer. So think of it like negative lift. The reaction of this is to push the tail down. So this movement causes a rotation about the lateral axis, which remember is wingtip to wingtip. And as a result, the nose of the aircraft goes in the opposite direction. So it goes up. So now the wings increase their angle of attack and thus they produce more lift, so the aircraft starts to go up. Naturally, going up requires more energy, as we know from driving a car uphill or walking upstairs, so to keep our speed constant, we need more power at the same time. Conversely, if we want to go down, then the opposite occurs. We push the control column forward, the elevators go down, thereby changing the airflow over that stabilizer, that horizontal stabilizer, that now creates more lift on the tail, so the tail goes up, the rotation occurs about the wing and therefore the nose goes down. So everyone at the airport seen a plane taking off. When you're next at the airport, as soon as you start to see the nose start to rise, quickly change your focus to the tail of the aircraft and watch how closely it goes down. Now this is more evident on larger aircraft like the, the Boeing 777 or the A340s, but where the bottom of the fuselage near the tail is, it can go down to roughly within about half a metre of the runway, or that's about 20 inches for our inch friends. And that's pushing the tail down, rotating about the wings so the nose goes up. So let's just talk briefly about that other part of the tail, those small horizontal wings that the elevator is attached to called the horizontal stabiliser. It is a stabilising force on the aircraft, but the stabiliser in itself on jet aircraft can pitch up and down. And this is for trimming the aircraft. And it's referred to as the horizontal stabilizer trim system. So remember in episode four, we discussed passengers moving about the aircraft and the fact that the manufacturer has given the aircraft prescribed limits to operate within. This is where the horizontal stabilizer trim system comes into play. So Say we are flying along in the cabin crew, pull out the meal carts full of your dinner, and then they walk with them from the rear of the galley all the way to the front of the aircraft. The aircraft will slowly pitch down as the weight moves forward. So as a pilot, I will need to pull back on the control column with the elevators to counter this. It's going to be quite painful holding the elevator back all the time. So I have a little switch on my control column and I click it down. This rotates that whole horizontal stabilizer a tiny bit so the leading edge or the front of it goes down. So this pushes the tail down a bit and as a result, it's the same effect as the elevators. It reduces the lift on the tail which helps push the nose up or hold the nose up. And once I've done this, I've done this little quick click on it. The elevators are back to neutral. I don't have to hold it back. So the elevator panels are now lined up with the horizontal stabilizer and drag is reduced. And that's how I've counted the movement of the weight in the aircraft. 
that horizontal stabilizer is extremely powerful. So it only moves very slowly and only by small amounts. So this is going on all the time when passengers are moving about fuel is being burnt or say we want to hold the aircraft in a steady nose up position for a climb. So the next time you get a chance to look at the side of a large jet, check the side of the tail and you'll probably see some markings on the side of the fuselage near the front of the horizontal stabiliser which will show a range of movement. So that's the elevator. Anything come out of that there for you, James, you want to discuss? Yeah, so we've got the um, the elevators. So the, the, there's the horizontal stabiliser and then Part of the horizontal stabilizer is the elevator. Is that correct? Yeah, the horizontal stabilizer yeah. includes the the elevator, yeah. but the horizontal stabilizers on a light airplane, it's actually just fixed. It doesn't change at all. They yeah. have they have a uh, have an elevator and they've got tap. little yeah little trim tip. But on a large jet, yeah, the whole, the whole yeah the whole so thing moves. But as you said, the elevator moves in a larger range of motion would probably be the best term than the the, the actual horizontal stabilizer. It's uh, it's only moving. You only need because it's mainly trim is used. Uh, I didn't take before to as you said in, in cruise. It's actually you only need tiny adjustments. Yeah, Whereas well, we have the, we have tiny adjustments. And in actual fact, when an aeroplane is designed, it has the limit. So sometimes when we take off on a flight, we like to load the aeroplane towards the tail, so it's tail heavy, and we will preset that big horizontal stabilizer for a heavy tail. Other times when the aircraft's loaded, it might be nose heavy, so we preset that. By presetting it, we know that it's trimmed and that we'll get maximum movement of the elevator if we need it both up and down. Anyway, uh, moving on. So we've talked about how the aircraft rolls from left to right and uh, pitches up and down. We're now going on to the third main basic control that every aircraft, fixed-wing aircraft has in it, which is a rudder, which uh, helps the twisting motion. So if you want to talk about the rudder and how that impacts flight. Yeah, the rudder is an interesting one because everyone sees the rudder on the aircraft that doesn't really have too much of an effect. Uh, the main controls we use are the elevator and the ailerons. But the rudder, it's a hinge panel and it's on the back of the vertical fin. It's, it's controlled by the pilot through pedals on the floor, which we call rudder pedals. So it works in much the same manner as the elevator, but this time it's in a vertical sense. As a result, its axis of movement is vertically through the center of the aircraft. Now, if the pilot pushes the left rudder, the rudder moves to the left. So that creates more lift on the right side of the rudder, which means the tail will move to the right. And as the axis of movement through the center of the aircraft vertically, the result will be that the nose of the aircraft will move to the left. We call this movement yaw, and it's about the yaw axis. So push left rudder, tail goes to the right, and the nose goes to the left. So if you had a cup of water or a glass of wine or a beer sitting on a tray in front of you, and I just pushed either rudder pedal, you would feel a sideways movement, and whatever your chosen drink is would spill out of your drink vessel all over your tray table all that. So we don't really want that happening. So we do use the rudder, but we use it in the sense that when we roll into a turn, we make sure that if we just rolled into a left turn with the ailerons, then all your drinks would spill out onto the left side of your cup. So to stop them spilling out of the left side of your cup, we just put a little tiny bit of rudder in, and that's called a balanced turn. How does that sound? So it's, it basically is predominantly used in flight just to make the uh, turning effect seem less extreme. 
Yes, um, yeah, that, yes. Well, there are secondary effects from the primary controls, and so the primary controls, the other controls, balance us out. So let's have a look at the secondary effect of ailerons, right? So the secondary effect of using the ailerons is your. And so this has the same effect as what the rudder does, but these are just the ailerons. And it's because the downgoing aileron goes into a high pressure air and the upgoing aileron's got less air pressure. So this causes the downgoing aileron to create more drag. Now drag acts like it slows that part of the wing down. So say we went into a left bank turn. Remember the left aileron goes up less lift on the left wing, so that wants to drop, and the right aileron goes down, creates more lift. Problem is the down-going aileron, because there's more air pressure underneath it, it causes drag, so it wants to slow that wing down, and the result is the aircraft will want to yaw towards that wing. And remember, yaw is the primary movement of the rudder. So this is a secondary effect of aileron movement. Now, aircraft designers can do a few things to avoid this secondary effect. And uh, one of them is to have a, what's called a differential aileron system. So the downgoing aileron only goes down a little bit while the upgoing aileron goes up a heck of a lot. So that's one way of overcoming it. Uh, fly-by-wire aircraft are very good at doing that as well. And so the larger aircraft don't really need to use the rudder as well, but a small aircraft, when flying a small aircraft in turboprops, every time you rolled into a bank, you'd have to put a little bit of rudder in. We have an instrument with a little ball in it that can tell us how much rudder to put in so your drinks don't spill. But also, conversely, on rudder, there's a secondary effect as well. Remember the rudder yours, the nose left or right. So if we're just flying along and I just put the left rudder in, the nose of the aircraft yours to the left. But that's caused a twisting moment and what happens is the right wing now speeds up and that generates more lift relative to the left wing, which has slowed down a bit. So the aeroplane will now roll into a bank. So putting these things together, we move the control column to the left and at the same time we put a little bit of left rudder in a smaller aircraft. That's called a balanced turn and it ensures that your drinks won't spill. So if you had a fluid container on your tray table, the fluid would remain level with your tray table throughout the whole turn if we manage a coordinated balanced turn. So to be honest, everything's sort of balancing it out and each other out as such. So you're doing, the, they've all got their primary sort of uses such as, well, aims such as when you're going to do a turn and you bank the aircraft, but then all the other controls sort of kick in a little bit just to balance it out and mean it's a smoother flight. So yep, yep, that's right. Yeah, it's still I mean, the purpose is we don't want people being wobbling around when they're walking around and you're going into a turn or you're having a drink. You don't want drinks spilling everywhere just because the aeroplane's turning. So we keep the plane in a balanced turn. And obviously, large aircraft, they're very well designed. So going into a bank turn in the, in the 777, we don't even touch the rudder because Boeing have managed manufactured the aeroplane in such a way that it's very well balanced and they know the secondary effects so the controls have all been designed through the fly-by-wire system that they don't cause these additional issues which would cause say you're in a bank on a side note i was just going to ask this isn't going to impact any of our listeners hopefully but fighter aircraft do they have these similar systems or 
are they different in the fact that you can just manipulate the controls how you feel at any time of flight? Yeah, the smaller aircraft don't you don't really notice the yaw and bank things so much. And as a result, they actually make them. I think fighter jets are made unstable, so they're a lot more manoeuvrable. You don't see a fighter pilot with a tray table and it having a glass of wine flying along. So yeah. it's not a, a primary concern for the designer thereafter maneuverability. So yeah. These dot devices, they're all activated from the flight deck. So we use the control column with a similar principle to a car steering wheel. We turn it left at Banks Aeroplane left via the ailerons and vice versa. We push the control column forward, it pitches the nose down by way of moving the elevators and thus pulling back on the control column we go up. The rudder pedals on the floor are connected to the rudder. Push the left one, the nose yours left, and all your drinks spill onto your lap. And then you push the right rudder the other way. Now your drinks just spill out the other side of your glass. So all these surfaces on large jets are driven by either hydraulics or in some case electrical devices called actuators. The forces on them are significant. So in the old days, the control column for the elevator aileron and the rudder pedals will connect to their respective hinge panels via cables and pulleys. And this would require a lot of maintenance and rigging of the controls. It was a very heavy and complicated system. However, nowadays it's mostly an electronic signal through a dedicated flight control computer which sends a signal to the actuator. And this is where the simple term fly-by-wire comes in. It enables additional things like flight control protection so we don't overstress the controls. We'll talk about that in episode 24 on aircraft performance and limitations. It also means you can automatically do things like uh, when you're going into a roll, the computer works out the speed you're going, how much control angle to put in relative to how fast I move the control column. And like the ailerons, how far the left one goes up as opposed to the right one going down. So the fly-by-wire system is an exceptionally good system, lightweight and more manageable from a maintenance point of view. Um, moving on, so those are three primary axes on the aircraft and how they get manipulated by the controls in the aircraft. Mm-hmm. Moving on, we've got the secondary sort of controls that can impact uh, the way an aircraft flies, which are the speed brakes or spoilers, as they can be known as. And yeah, they're sort of a secondary control system that can be used in flight to manipulate how the aircraft flies. So do you want to discuss how those speed brakes uh, can impact the aircraft? Yeah, so the speed, the term speed brakes and spoilers are pretty much it's the same panels, but they work in different modes. So they are they're a group of panels on the top of the wing, and they're generally towards the where the rear of the wing, and they spread out spanwise. So on the Boeing Triple Seven, we have fourteen of these spoilers. There's seven on each wing. They start with two inboard of the inboard aileron, so fairly close to the fuselage, and the other five are spread out from that inboard aileron all the way to just before the outer aileron. So in the air, I have a a lever which normally sits in the stowed position, and when I pull this lever backwards, it extends the speed brake. So these panels start to rise on the wing, and the more I pull back on the lever, the higher these panels go, and as a result, lift and speed is reduced to relative to how far I pull back on the lever. They're more effective the faster we go. So at high speed, here's, here's some rough figures for you. If I'm on descent at high speed, and my rate of descent with nothing, uh, with no speed brakes out, what we call clean, it's about 2,200 feet per minute. 
If I pull full speed brake, we go to 5,300 feet per minute. So that's more than double. So in the cabin, you're likely to hear a bit of extra noise and feel a low rumbling rhythm due to the turbulent airflow caused by their extension. And not all these panels work in the air. Uh, the ones, uh, one on each wing of the 777, they actually don't do anything. They stay retracted. However, on the ground when used, they're, they're now called spoilers and all of them are used. So after landing, we want to destroy all the lift on the wing and get the weight on the wheels as quickly as possible so the brakes can do their job. So all these panels pop up and they not only also destroy the lift, but they also cause drag. And we'll talk about these more in episode 14 when we discuss devices that assist with slowing aircraft down the landing. One final spanner in the works for these spoiler panels, and this is where fly-by-wire are really good. Remember, going into a turn or a bank, say, to the left, the down-going right aileron, that goes down a bit into the airflow, creates more lift on the right wing, and the up-going aileron on the left wing causes less lift. To help with the turn, sometimes a few of the left spoiler panels, that's the same size with the up-going aileron, they'll come up to help reduce lift on that wing. So the side with the upgoing aileron will have sometimes the spoiler panels come up, depends on the rate of turn required, the speed in and out, the altitude. So technically, you can turn an aeroplane without ailerons. You just need to have a spoiler pop up on the wing for the direction you want to turn in. And some light aircraft used to use this as a primary roll control in their zone, but it's very rare nowadays. So you may see those spoiler panels popping up when the ailerons pop up as well. And that's just uh, helping control the roll rate of the aircraft. Yeah, probably the best way to uh, to see those in action is probably just go onto YouTube and Google plane landing and there's hundreds and thousands of videos and you get, you'll see not only the spoilers, but all three, um, all these basic controls we've just discussed all in action as the plane comes down to land in the air and the pilots manipulate those uh, controls to get it uh, cleanly onto the runway. So those are basically uh, three uh, main controls, uh, basic controls that uh, every aircraft has. Those the aileron, the elevator, and the rudder. Uh, they manipulate how the aircraft maneuvers through the air by varying uh, the amount of lift over their respective control surfaces. We also just went into some secondary devices, uh, such as the spoilers, which also have effects on uh, the aircraft and how through modern design techniques, uh, such as creating the horizontal stabilizer trim system, uh, manipulate the aircraft in smaller ways to make it a smoother ride for passengers and to have more maneuverability for the aircraft in general. Yeah, no, just lastly, finishing up there, uh, those big panels on the wing, they're here to either help us increase our rate of descent or slow us down or a combination of both. And they generally, they'll come up a lot higher upon landing than, than what they will in the air, but they are very effective. Some aircraft, very few, I think the BA-146, it doesn't have those panels on the wing, but it has a speed brake that comes out the back of the tail, and that's two panels that flick out either side. So some aircraft have different combinations, but most of the large jet transport aircraft, the spoilers or speed brakes are generally on top of the wing. So yeah, you don't need to be uh, alarmed next time you're on a plane and you see large parts of the wing moving. They are there to uh, help move the aircraft. 
next episode. So next episode, we're going to have a break from the technical stuff and we're going to talk about the cabin. So we're going to have a look at what the cabin crew are involved with in the cabin. And we will talk about the meal service and a few other issues with the safety devices around the cabin. We're hoping to interview someone for that. Uh, we'll also have talk about the food and uh, the taste effects and talk about fluid intake. Uh, because the cabin is very dry. So uh, some bits of information that you might find of interest there. Yeah, well, I uh, hope you've enjoyed that episode. I certainly found it very informative and found some quite interesting little facts that I did not know prior. So that's good. And I am looking forward to hearing the next episode, especially if we do manage to secure that interview, because it will be interesting to hear from someone directly in the industry or he or she will have some interesting insight that uh, we have no idea about. So that's, uh, yeah, and that's goodbye from me. And I look forward to hearing from you either on social media at Fearless Fly on Facebook or Instagram or through our email or website. Uh, we'll see you next time. Okay, and it's goodbye for me. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.